Hey, what's up? This is John from Seether, wishing everyone a happy Halloween and are cranking up the new Kiss album Monster like I certainly am right now. And you're listening to Podkiss. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Hello and welcome to your podcast. This is Gary Schaller. With me is Ken Mills and we've got a great bunch of people here to talk about Destroyer Resurrected. Joining us tonight is my brother Brian on the line. It's good to have him on again. We've got John Humphrey from the band Seether. Great drummer and great guy. longtime Kiss fan. And we've got Julian Gill, the webmaster and author from Kiss FAQ or Kiss Fact, whatever you want to call it. You know you love it. We've also got Matt Porter from the Kiss Room. So sit back, relax, and let this stuff pump through your speakers. All right, so now we get to side two of Destroyer Resurrected. We've got Flaming Youth. This is Kiss performing live 1976 in New Jersey. Give it a listen.
Fellas, what do you think about Flaming Youth? I think it's lyrically one of the stupidest songs in the catalog, but uh, you know, even even when I was like a young kid, it still I always thought the lyrics were kind of goofy. And it was plural when it was demoed. Our parents think we're crazy. Mm-hmm. And they hate, they hate the things we do. I'm glad they changed it. Julian, what about you? I love the song. It just made a really bad single choice. Uh, what they've done with it on Resurrected again, you know, it's just so brutally clear. You know, the whole sound palette is broadened on all these songs. So that you're hearing, you know, things that you just don't remember hearing when you've listened to it, you know, whether it's on the original CDs, cassettes, vinyl rips, whatever. Um, it's just so bombastic. It's wonderful. It's, and it's, it's, it, it, it remains that great Kiss anthem. I mean, they're not trying to get into anyone's head with any message in this. It's just good, dumb rock and roll. And it's a great Generation Gap song. You know, kind of really highlights the whole, you know, your parents don't get it, but we do. Yeah, it's rock and roll. It's rebellion. Hey, you know, this is us. You know, your parents are stupid and lazy. You know? Very cool. <laughs> right. Brian. Yeah, I, I, uh, to be honest, I used to fast forward through this in the next track. Um, and I, I, I really, I really didn't appreciate it until, until a little later. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's musically fun. It's lyrically dumb. Um, I think that can be said of, of a few other Kiss songs. <laughs> right. Just, right. just a few. Um, but Very I love true. it. I, mean, I, I, I especially, I love the fade out in this song. Um, I love, I love the way it fades out. It, it, it sounds kind of, it's a little hokey sounding to me, but it's just, it's great, but I, I, I definitely didn't appreciate this or the next track until, until I listened, listening to it for a few times and used to fast forward through it. This and uh, Nothing to Lose had Kiss doing that little sneaky thing they do, which is playing in odd meters, uh, but you don't know that they're doing it, right? Because there's a the, Nothing to Lose begins in seven, and this has that uh, solo section that's in seven. And they negotiate that really well. You know, you don't have to be rushed to do a good job with this sort of thing. Kiss does it just fine, and um, you know, Flaming Youth is no exception to that. Matt, what do you think about this song? You know, it's funny. I'll tell you a funny story about it. We talk about you know the rebellion of rock and roll, but I can clearly remember driving in our blue van around this time, and we're singing this lyrics, my brothers, and and we're singing this, and I remember my mom saying. You know, when you want to break out of your cage, just go ahead. And I mean, at the time, now I'm probably, I don't know, 10 or 11. I have no idea what that I'm going to move out and rebel or anything like that. And and it actually kind of annoyed her. And they were never, my mom and dad were never not supportive of us listening to Kiss. I mean, there's people that really that talk about their parents ripping their posters off the wall. You can't listen to that devil music. They never they they never stopped us from listening to Kiss, even though they didn't like it. But that's one of the few references in my mind that I can clearly remember exactly where I was at that moment as we're singing that song. And she says, yeah, go right ahead. When you want to break out of your cage, go right ahead. And then you started singing uh, The Carpenters. And then, you know, and if I had gone into sweet pain, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known what I was talking about. My love was flipped all around me. My was always beside me. No one the same thing every day. I think you know you've grown up when you know what those lyrics mean. I really didn't know. I mean, certainly I didn't know what Sweet Pain was going to be talking about till much later <laughs> than, at, than at 10 years old. 
Brian, you grew up hearing Kiss songs coming out of my speakers. You, you, you're, you, I'm 11. It's just the two of us, and I'm 11 years older. And um, when did you first know what this song was about? I don't know. It's a good. It's a good question. That's a good. Question. It's about. By the um, way, it's about. It's about bondage. Uh, just so you know. Uh, three seconds ago. Right. right yeah. <laughs> no. No, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Not for, not for some, not for some time. But I think, you know, I think, I think I had a, I had some vague, uh, inkling as to uh, what Jim was talking about. That it was, you know, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's a good question. I have to think about it. This song, out of all these songs in Kiss's catalog, I would love to hear Alice Cooper do. As a matter of fact, they could pretty much keep the same track uh, and just put Coop's voice on it. Right. Yeah, no, that would be great. He would do a good job, too. Do people like this song? I do. Uh, I've noticed that a lot of women don't seem to like it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the show about everybody kind of defining their characters. To me, this really is one that defines Gene. It's going with that evil kind of vibe. You know, maybe, you know, it's more of a hard edge kind of a thing. Um, you know, if you go back and read his little note in Kiss Alive, he's talking about doing all those things that you love to hate or whatever and it's i think again it kind of it's you can see where they're kind of defining okay he's he's doing something a little different in uh in his spare time i yeah. can't say that this is one of my favorite tracks on the album it never has been and i agree with bob who has been on record saying that he didn't feel that this song was fully realized there's just something when you compare it with every other song on the album it's not as grand in its sound or execution, it, it's I it's can like, see that it's like the one piece of filler. I I don't even want to use that term in relation to Destroyer, but it it just does not meet the standards that every other song does. It's the one song that could have been on Dress to Kill or uh, on Rock and Roll Over, and that is by no means a bash against either of those records. I love every minute of those records, but yeah. Julian, I think you're absolutely right. Destroyer is something uh, for which you reserve only the most uh, epic music. And um, Sweet Pain doesn't do anything to further kiss the way that a Detroit Rock City or God of Thunder or Do You Love Me does. It's just another song where Gene gets to say that he's a slut. John Humphrey of Seether, what are your thoughts on Sweet Pain? Uh, again... Uh, sounds great, <laughs> a wonderful remix, and, and this song benefits it, benefits from that as well. Uh, this is a song, obviously, that wasn't uh, done live on other albums or there's other mixes of it. So the one strictly from this album, shall we say, Flaming Youth, uh, Sweet Pain, songs uh, that weren't really done or remixed anywhere else, just uh, are obviously are, 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 are my favorites because... Uh, they are unique and uh, to to destroyer and the and the song titles. And as far as the Alice Cooper reference, uh, I'm not a big Alice Cooper aficionado, but I can definitely see lyrically, uh, visually the the S and M thing that Gene's got going on. You could see it as sort of a visual element for Alice to use live. 
also here's where we we could really talk about the fact that we're hearing the different solo and now they're calling one of them the original guitar solo but which was really the original guitar solo and which was the one we heard first i think ace's solo i think bob ezra made the right decision i think the one that he put in later that was that we all know from the album is better i don't think ace's is as good a solo you know, being in a band, I can uh, we we get a symptom we call demoitis, which is uh, when a, a fellow band member or yourself uh, writes records a demo for a song that's going to be used for an album, and you listen to it 80 times. You're so excited, you go to actually record the track for the album. You feel somehow the actual final product, I don't know, doesn't sound as good as the original demo have. So I think you have that sort of problem here you've got a version of the song you've been listening to for 30 plus years with a solo you're so used to so it takes some time to get used um to, to the new lead track that ace provides ace's solo to me doesn't sound like anything other than a time marker that's it it doesn't sound like he'd even got around to really thinking about doing a proper solo it's just throwing something in there to have something in that space for temporarily it sounds to me like, I bet Bob, maybe, and I'm only guesstimating here, that Bob sang maybe a melody, a lead melody idea for Ace to put down, uh, just sort of as a, a, a working section, and then was probably like, okay, tell Gene to come in, we're going to go ahead and work on some bass, we'll come back to that, Ace, okay? And just never got round to it, and then the infamous, you know. So it's you know, kind of like a scratch take. I, I think it is, and I bet it was done one time through, and that Bob maybe cut and pasted it so that the melody line ran twice. But yeah, it's my guess that it's a complete, you know, people on there going, man, this is the worst A solo. It sucks. I mean, I can't believe that you, you know. But I think it wasn't it's, finished ever. It's, it's not, you know. That's so. my, yeah, absolutely. That's my opinion. I think it's unfinished. I think it was a working line, and it was there in the meantime while they, 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 you know, continued doing overdubs and working. Of course, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, but that's what it sounds like to me. I think it's really cool to hear something that we've never heard before. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it kind of strikes you as, as odd the first time you hear it. Well, but, as a, as, you know, you know, I'm a big Beatles fan. So like as a Beatles fan, I'm used to having multiple versions of songs. So this is, yeah. it's, it's kind of cool, you know, so. Yeah, it's like an alternate take or exactly, something. Exactly. Exactly. That's uh, all it is. Yeah. And I think it, for that and for historical purposes and that alone, I think it's awesome. I don't yeah. think they needed a solo in the song. I think that the riff that's going on underneath the solo is interesting enough. And, uh, it, you know, it's a cool guitar riff the way Flaming Youth is. I think they could have put some sounds of moaning or groaning or, or nothing, and it would have been just fine. You know, it was sort of obligatory to stick a solo in there. I don't think either of them is all that special, but I'm definitely used to the Dick Wagner one. You know, it could have used Calliope. Right. Calliope, that's right, yeah. yes. Yeah. Sadly, they had already used up their Calliope budget on Flaming Youth. So. I love well, they how... They could have done uh, a George Martin and played it backwards. I see. That would have worked. Or, one, you know, or one of those noisy solos, right? Like um, Almost Human or uh, Mr. Blackwell. You know, but I, I actually like the Ace solo. I think it's simple and... And, you know, kind of a, a classic Ace solo that's just a, a little story with something that repeats. Um, and it is, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it does fill up space. It's not, you know, it's not going to be a classic solo like Black Diamond or Shock Me. Well, again, to me, it sounds like a Cooper track and, uh, using Wagner that, that really, uh, underlines that. 35 years on now, everyone gets to hear what it was, what all the fuss was about. 
You know, is it Ace at a card game? Whatever. Who cares? You know, if, now they get to hear what Ace had actually laid down. They can compare it with what Wagner did later and with the comments Bob has made about feeling that it needed something there that wasn't present. It doesn't matter why Ace never came back and did anything. Maybe he thought he'd done his job and, you know, he was happy with it. But now we get to hear it. And that's uh, a really exciting little bit of history that we've heard the stories about. But now the evidence is out there for everyone to listen to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I, I actually like Sweet Pain a lot. I, I think it's a fun tune. It, you know, I do agree with Julian that it's not as epic as, as the rest of the material on Destroyer, which, you know, I still love it. Though. Which brings us to, undoubtedly, my very favorite Kiss song of all time, and um, probably their most blatant attempt at having an anthem on the album. Shout it out loud! <laughs> Again, I, I think with this song, just like Detroit Rock City, it's hard for me to, to even comment on it because it's just such a, a part of history and it's such a part of being a Kiss fan. Um, I will say, though, that um, I think it is Kiss's ultimate pop song. You know, you get the, the, the sing-along chorus, the, the um, call and response, and the tambourine, things like that just make it a, a perfect 
you know, under three minutes uh, pop masterpiece. And, and I, I wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, it's near and dear to my heart. What do you guys think? It, is, it really is perfection in many ways. Doesn't mean it's one of my favorite songs. It just means that it's perfect. I'd have a hard time picking a, a better song uh, to play for someone if they said, "All right, you've got three minutes. Show me a kiss." You get Gene and Paul singing on it. You get Ace. You get Peter. It's you know to me, it's perfect. I'd agree. I think that's one of those again. If even though we've heard it a million times, wow! If it doesn't get you excited about Kiss, you know, might be time for a new band. You know, this song is uh, Kiss Meets Casey and the Sunshine Band to me. It's never been one of my favorites, but listening to it again on Resurrected has given me, you know, a new way of hearing things. And it really grew on me. For years, if the song had been a little bit longer, it would have been my pee break in a concert. But now it's like, wow, I'm smiling and tapping my feet along with it. So, you know, good on it being resurrected for me. This is for me. This is the song that rock and roll all night couldn't be, and it's the song that I wish everyone knew instead of rock and roll all night. Um, wow. I, I think I, I I agree with with uh, with you, Gary. This is th- this is for me the Kiss song I would play for other people. It's the it's the anthem song, um, and uh, for me, I guess any song in which uh, Gina Paul share vocals is is a winner. And again, shout it out loud. Sounds great here. Um, you know, more anthemic if that's possible. The vocals sound great. I love how Gene and Paul are really panned hard right and left, just like they are on stage when they're doing their lines, uh, their their verses, and um, just uh, a, again, uh, great sound and and again benefits from this remix. And yeah, and, and I, I think it's no coincidence that they picked it as fuck the. Yourself. As the, um, as the single and, and, the video and I, I can the I remember something that you tour. said a few it was a years back track then. when it's, it's they never do another show I've with never you. Heard Kiss do. <laughs> well, no, no, not that. Uh, and it, no, no, no. I think yeah. they always just do we a kick-ass job again. with it. God damn um, it. And I want to go back to my first Kiss concert, which is 1992. Gary's trying to compete with History Science Theater for the amount of swearing Are we all drinking? I still listen to this and get Oh, no, no. Julian is. I hope you enjoy it. Damn it. Yes, I'm having a really hardcore cup of tea. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Here's Eric Singer performing Beth. Give us. Okay. I absolutely love how this song ends on that on this album. There's just something perfect about it. The shout. Yeah, I just love, and then it transitions into the next track. I just love that little bit. It's it's almost like someone loving the signature of the Mona Lisa, like if there was a signature in the corner, you know what I mean, as opposed to the actual painting. But there's just something about that that second, that moment, that transition that's so cool. Yeah. No, it's perfect. You know, the studio version of this tune is so important to me that they 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 could never do it justice even live i still think it 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 still doesn't touch the original but yeah that ending the song that way is 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 perfection So let's get into this next track. This is probably the most important track on the album because had this not broken as a single, we don't even know if Kiss would have survived. What did you think when you first heard Beth, Ken? 
Well, as someone who grew up uh, loving Alice Cooper and the Beatles, uh, it, it seemed fine. Um, it was a, not a huge departure for me. Like I said, I was used to bands developing. I remember playing it for some girls back in the day, and uh, it was kind of neat. I, I, I don't understand the hate for this song. I don't understand the hate for Rock and Roll All Night. I don't understand the hate for the things that brought us to the table. Uh, I still appreciate it for what it is, and I don't care which version of this song it is. It, it, it always makes me feel good to hear it. I absolutely love it, and I have since the first time I heard it. And this is one you definitely I, – I remember distinctly hearing it on the little transistor radio, and, oh, that's Kiss, that's Kiss. And even as cheesy as it might have been, Paul Lynn Halloween special, when they do that and they're kind of lurking around in that evil little castle kind of thing, that's such a cool version of it. And then obviously years later when they did that on the Unplugged and – you know, he says, me and the boys, and it's clearly, it's about, you know, he, in that version anyway, it's the four of them. It still makes you feel that unity of that. And it's funny because I saw Ace and Peter were doing that um, Bad Boys of Rock tour around the time. And when, as soon as they start doing Beth, you see people just like, you know, we're all, we're grown kids here, 20 somethings years old. I heard this one, this big guy, oh, it gets me every time. And he has tears in his eyes. And I mean, it just, it was, it's one of those things that people tie it to, I think, so much when they say me and the boys are playing that it is the four original members. And I think that, uh, you know, even though obviously we know now the evolution of the song as they were making fun of the one guy in Peter's band and his girlfriend always calling him, bugging him or whatever, and then how they could adapt it to be more about Peter and his life or Lydia or whatever. But the, uh, that sense of, you know, that raw feeling of that they have to go to band practice even. We're at practice and we're playing and when something's not right, I think it still ties to the original kind of the roots of the band in a loft and it still feels kind of nitty gritty. And I, I, as much as people maybe don't want the soft side of Kiss, I love this song. Like I think I tie it so closely to those years of really discovering the band. that uh, And this new version of it, I think, Tremendous! You hear a couple more instruments. You hear a little bit of the uh, acoustic guitar. Tremendous. This is kind of like great expectations to me in that, you know, it, it's such a great song that with or without the mix, I mean, it just it just always comes through. We've heard so many different versions of this over the years. And uh, it definitely, the clarity and the separation and everything that the new remix gives to the album overall, it definitely benefits from that. But uh, it's a beautiful song, always has been, and this is just you know a nice, cleaner, uh, even bit better version. Sounds it sounds great as it always has. There's a couple things I'd like to say. First off, um, I could never be uh, mad at a song that I danced uh, at a school dance with Jackie Garlock with. <laughs> this I was wearing a horrible, like maroon suit. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was a it was a maroon suit. Why would anyone need a maroon suit? And post pictures. <laughs> no, I can't. And, yeah. and I remember my English teacher saying, "Go ahead, ask her. Go ahead." Like, there's, there's no way. There's no way. And I forget what song was playing. I think it was something by the Four Seasons, you know. And then and then just as Beth came on. 
I was, I had stepped on the floor and it was just like a scene out of a movie. There I'm this chubby little kid in a stupid, ugly maroon suit with a yellow shirt. I like it was a gold yellow type shirt. And I walked across and I said, "Dance with me." And and she did. And, that's and, crazy. and she kissed so me, good. and it's the truth. And oh I could God. never have bad memories about this song. So thank you, Jackie, uh, wherever you are. But the other thing is I remember th- – this will tell you how, how quick things change from a certain time to a certain time. This is 1976. This comes out, right? I remember laying in bed one night listening to America's Top 40 in 1980. And they played an oldie, and the oldie was Kiss. And Casey comes back on the other end, and in the "Where Are They Now" category, that was that was a band whose name means to osculate. That was Kiss with their <laughs> classic. Death. And I was like, "It's wow. not an oldie. It can't be an oldie. I'm 18. Go yourself, Casey Kasem. This is not right." But yeah, so that's another Beth memory from the vault of the old guy. That's awesome. Wrap it up, Fuzz. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Brian, Beth. Uh, Yeah. Great song. I mean, I, 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 I agree. It, it, it sort of makes me think of Cold Gin to me and, you know, talking about, you know, them eating turkey sandwiches for Thanksgiving and, you know, warming up in the cold studio with their bottle of gin. And, and, and it kind of, Beth does have that feeling to me of sort of them back in the studio, trying to make it struggling, but, you know, being, being the four of them. And it very much has that sound, sound of sort of, you know, the unity of the band, the original four members. And uh, I think that's what it will always mean to me, no matter who's singing it, no matter, you know, what they're doing with it. um, It's still this version and uh, those, those associations that, that are meaningful to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Julian? I love it. I think it's brilliant. Not as a song, as, you know, Bob's probably listening to what they had available. And he says, wow, this is really different. You know, you get a great emotion from Peter's vocal on the on the song. And it's probably one of my favorite Peter vocals. It's just, you know, it's, it's so Bob Seger turned the page as sort of like the, the other side of a band's, you know, uh, existence. So you get great emotion coming through. So. You know, from that perspective, absolutely brilliant. And to and to sneak it in there between this, you know, bombastic shout it out loud, and then this sort of lascivious "Do you love me?" This totally sincere. There's not a moment. There's an, I, I I I I'm not putting down Gene here, and and I I love uh, I love stuff like when you wish upon a star, but there's something about. Um, sincerity that gets compromised when it's sometimes when it's any of the other Kiss guys, but I've I've never listened to Beth as anything but a hundred percent sincere, it, and it doesn't matter like you know like Brian was saying it doesn't matter the circumstances or anything when Peter Chris sits down and sings this song, I never ever feel like it's not a hundred percent real, you know, and and people make a big deal about him flubbing the lyrics in Largo '79 or whatever, like who cares? People make mistakes. It's still it's still perfect. They sure bring a lot of perfection to the resurrected version with how it's cleaned up, how, you know, they, they bring Dick Wagner's guitar. And, you know, here comes Dick again, but, you know, they bring his guitar work underlying the orchestra way out. So you can actually hear it. I think when I interviewed Bob years ago, or 
actually, Derek, sorry, um, he was annoyed that I couldn't hear the guitar underneath the orchestra. I just never noticed it. And now you can actually hear it, which is great. And, and you know, Bob adding it back in a couple of little oohs and ahs, you know, and that's neither here nor there. It's It remains an exclamation point on the album that, after all, the bombastic rock and roll, suddenly you have something so unkiss that it's like a stop on the album. That makes you just go, whoa, what's going on? So Very true. It, it, it remains a, you know, a, a, just a great part of the album and uh, making it different. Well, Julian, this is like kind of stepping away from the, the Destroyer theme, but aren't you glad that Kiss is a diverse band? Because I like listening to ACDC, and I love ACDC, but they're like a cheeseburger or kind of like McDonald's. You know you can pull into any McDonald's in any city in any state, and you know what you're getting when you order the number whatever. And to me, I've always loved the fact that KISS does, whether it's for a good thing or a bad thing, whether it's for the Elder or, or Shandy or whatever, that it's not the same exact cheeseburger over and over and over again. I'm glad they've had some producers that have stepped out and made them do stuff like this. We know that uh, Beth wasn't exactly going to you know, get onto an album without having someone else possibly you know, tell them that they need to have it on the album. But yeah, they've experimented. They, they've tried things. They've not been cookie cutter. Um, hasn't always worked, and why should it? You know, it's them getting their musical kicks. And if, we, if it happens to work, great. And if it doesn't, well, at least they didn't make the same album 18 times even if they were 18 good albums. You really like to me, there's an honesty in this song. Serious. Say more. Well, <clears throat> I think that whether it was uh, something that was honest at the time or something that it came to be, but... You know, you do have to go through this thing where it's like, well, do you, do you like me or do you like that guy that I'm pretending to be for a few hours every night? And I, I think that uh, Paul's always had an aching for acceptance. Yeah, 100% right. I think they're probably dealing with that more now at that time because now they have a lot of new friends who all want to be at the party. And, and I think you hit it right on the head. It was they were just starting to get a lot of success. Now there's a lot more people around who are, oh, you're the greatest. You're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. Thank you, Matt. Oh, wait. Oh, you weren't talking to me. Oh, no, he okay. meant me. Oh. <laughs> okay. I can't listen to that middle part without getting chills. You know, the backstage pass part? Yep. Mm -hmm. Perfection. And and as the song's ending, there's the, the, the guitars remind me of the Beatles for some reason. You know, where they're doing, do you love me? Do you love me? You know, mm -hmm. as it's ending. And I, I just love that part. Yeah, it's like fixing a hole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I hear you. Yeah, I just everybody air guitars, but do you air bell when the bells come on? Do you ring the bell? I do every time, <laughs> every time. <laughs> Brian, what do you think about do you love? Yeah, I, I mean, this is. I think this is another song that I was sort of. I really enjoyed. I was sort of ready to hear it leave the set list after a while, and now I'm kind of yearning for it to come back. I think it's a great song. I think. I think uh, it fits his character. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, 
it, it's not it's you know there there are some Paul songs that I love but are kind of irritating Paul songs. This is not this is not one of them. Um, and I think for reasons that other people pointed out, it does it does kind of sound legitimate, uh, you know, and 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 does sound like his uh, craving for acceptance. Um, I like this song. Great song, and. You know, the new version just makes you hear it all again. If you think back to what I said, you know, earlier of my first experience with uh, Destroyer was really probably this song on Double Platinum. You know, it, it's it's an important song in my personal history. So it ties in with the rest of the album. It's kind of like about a band and what, you know, you just had about Peter and the me and the boys will be playing on Beth. Now you get another side of the reality of a band. Of uh, you know all the hangers on and the yes people that surround you. So uh, doesn't that also so, go back to um, Great Expectations? Absolutely, and, and maybe there is a little bit of a concept running through this whole album. So great song. And Julian, I got a question for you about the the resurrected. You talked about things being enhanced or brought back in or snuck in there by Bob. Um, did the drums sound a little different to you? The drums just sound absolutely fantastic on this whole album. But they do a, sound slightly different, though. And, and I mean, yeah. it seems like the playing is slightly different. Yeah, I know. You hear a bunk, dun 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 dun. Yeah. Uh, dun, dun. You like hear his subtlety. Yeah, it's like, it's amazing, man. I mean, after all these years, you're like hearing the mallet just barely touch the kick drum, mm-hmm. uh, thus creating almost a, you know, like a little bit different pattern. And it's so cool to hear that. And yeah, that's it. That's the clarity. He didn't add a beat or go through and, and, and tweak all. He just, it's just simply bringing up the low end, uh, and, and made that more present. And, and then you're hearing there's just those killer, killer subtleties. It's the same with, uh, the big fill on the outro of Detroit Rock City, you know, da 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 goom, 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 goom. I mean, he just isolated that and just, uh, the, the drums just have, just so much power now. It's it's just really cool. I mean, I'm not I'm not a I'm not that technical of a drummer. I mean, I can you know play a bit, but it, it it does seem to have a slight different cadence or rhythm or something. Something extra is there. It's it's like you're hearing the rigging out of the whole drum hit. You know that that stuff that may have been muted in the original mix that it's been brought so forward that it makes it sound different. I guess I don't know. There is this rumor, right? That goes around that some of the some of the drums are enhanced by someone else on the original version. Bob never categorically been... uh, denied that, by the way. Good. He said this album is 100% and absolutely Peter Chris and his bleeding hands. Nice. Wow, that is awesome. Getting back to uh, this being a concept album, this really is like a love letter about the the band and the fans and and their interaction everything from being at groupies to being in the band to the you know as as Julian mentioned the adoration there there is something going on here this is the ultimate kiss fantasy this album is right and it's no coincidence that they had you know the the kiss army logo for the first time in the packaging um and that I think it was on this tour where for the first time they had the Kiss Army banners hanging alongside the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what a stage! But that's a whole show unto itself, like Matt was saying. Now uh, what? Now what? What about the the last bit on the album? Right. The we, we tried to spin up rock and roll party, right? Right. Rock and roll demons. Is that I what? Wish people, it, 
called? Well, years ago, uh, the Kiss Collector website put up a picture of an acetate from uh, our test pressing of the album, uh, an original one, and this track was apparently titled Rock and Roll Demons. So wow. I, don't, I don't know whether that is actually the case uh, because we've seen so many counterfeits and pirate things coming out in recent years, um, but that would make a lot more sense, really. Why? You know, on, on a dark album with stuff like God of Thunder, you know, part of your demons, doesn't matter. Both fit. Yeah. No, that's great. I didn't that's know that. That's pretty Thank cool. You. Great info. It's a perfect way to end the the album. You know, it's, and, it's, uh, it is that sort of swirly, psychedelic thing that ties into the, I mean, Ken, I'm not going to listen to the record ever again the same way. Thanks, thanks to what you're saying, but you know, this, like, now he's waking up from his coma or he's on his way to hell or whatever, but it's amazing. You know, this so, piece exists for a couple of reasons. You know, Bob's been pretty clear that he really felt that the album needed a bookend. You have your start, your audio story that introduces Detroit Rock City. You need something at the end to tie it all back together. So what do you do? Do a little bit of studio wizardry. It ties straight back into Alive as well. And you got the choir from Great Expectations. You just got this really cool little loop that makes the whole thing a start to finish um, listening experience. You know, so much like it, it's not like you're pick and choose iTunes from, from these days. This is a whole album. This is the way they, they end it. And I think Paul's also said that the album was a little short, so they needed to tack on a minute or two. So great way to do that without actually having to dig up another song. Matt, you know, it's also it's one of the – it kind of points out when vinyl, you could kind of hide a track like this, like the idea that it had a name like Rock and Roll Demons or now it's called Rock and Roll Party. At the time, it never even had a name that we knew. It was just hidden at the end. So when it came on, I remember – I can remember hearing it and being like, whoa, like what was that? Like it actually almost startles you because you're kind of eased out of the album and all of a sudden it comes back in you can't hide things anymore plus the fact if you go to itunes are you going to download if you're not if you're a casual fan and you're looking you go well what's this it's a minute and it's just kind of a mashup and and what everybody has said throughout this it's part of the album made to be played at a certain time in a certain spot on an album in a group of songs in the right order. And I mean, obviously it doesn't really add a whole lot. It's, it's doesn't, it's, you know, it's kind of just a mashup of sounds, but it's just so cool. And it does end the album. Pink Floyd were doing something where, um, I don't know if they do it in iTunes in the States, but you can't download individual tracks from some of their records. Like, uh, I, I believe at least for a time that the only way to get, uh, a song off of dark side of the moon was to download all of dark side of the moon in order. Um, same with like Wish You Were Here and The Wall, unless it was part of a compilation record, right? right? So I, I don't know. What do people think about uh, about that idea? You know, particularly that, when you're talking about something like The Beatles or or about this record. That's been something that's bugged a lot of uh, artists, particularly. You know, about they created these this product as a whole package and iTunes has allowed people to pick and choose. And it's like, you're coming and you're only getting one ingredient. You're not getting everything. So you're not getting what they've created. And I know it bothers them. And to a certain extent, it bothers me, mm -hmm. uh, particularly looking at iTunes, having this album out in advance, uh, what a couple of weeks before a physical release, I think it should have been made a uh, album only uh, or nothing. And that would have probably helped the band a lot. Agreed. Uh, yeah, you're right. Actually, sales, uh, right? Because iTunes sales count for um, 
these days, right? They count for how high a, a record charts, right? Right. On the other hand, as a consumer and as a I've written a couple songs and I, I think every song should be able to stand on its own and I should be able to buy what I want. You know, if like, for example, if I only love Day Tripper by the Beatles, I should be able to have access to it. Ken, are you saying that if I wanted to hear Take <clears throat> On Me by AHA, that I shouldn't also hear The Sun Always Shines on TV and Living a Boy's Adventure Tale and Hunting High and Low? It disturbs me that you know that much about <laughs> AHA. <laughs> <laughs> I have that record. And just think, in another universe, a young man named Julian Gill started an aha message board. Okay. Somewhere there's, there's an aha, aha fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we talked about this. I, I, I almost felt like it was an albatross uh, around my neck that we hadn't done a podcast about Destroyer yet. You know, We did like the Elder podcast. Well, it's definitely we- been one of our most requested. Well, I'm super glad that we talked about this. It's it's definitely, um, you know, one of the most, if not the most important Kiss Studio albums. We are joined today by a gentleman who did a lot of work on Destroyer Resurrected, as that's our featured album of the month and what side two of the roundtable is about today. We're going to speak to Justin Cordelieu. Justin, could you please explain to us exactly how you were involved with Destroyer Resurrected? I've been uh, Bob Ezrin's engineer for about the past three years, and so um, he and I both uh, took the original tapes that they uh, they collected uh, from the vault, and uh, we did a an updated um, remix, not remix in the sense of you know. <laughs> but, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you like that? You guys didn't put like a dance beat to God of Thunder or Beth? So. No, 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 definitely not. Which could be like the sequel, you know, Destroyer Resurrected again. So you know. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, may, maybe uh, maybe in the future. But uh, not right now. But yes. Um, so we, we just kind of using the, the tools that we have today, tried to make a, a cleaner mix, you know, something that you couldn't do uh, just in mastering. And so he and I worked together at the console and just tried to make it sound as uh, uh, as good as we could without drastically changing it. Because, I mean, it's it's a classic album. You, it's you don't really want to do too much to it because right. uh, it's it's just such a great record so well the first thing i want to address you mentioned these these tapes came from the vault yes where's the location of this vault and do you have the the, the password key or the you know do you know the gatekeeper or something because we we as kiss fans want to get in there and see what else is there yes well um yes i could uh, i could tell you but i'd have to kill you ah no uh, once again Yes, but actually, there's there's an interesting story with that. Okay. We were originally supposed to do this uh, uh, several months prior, but um, I guess the label had trouble finding the original tapes, and so uh, everyone was sort of you know a little um, little anxious because all they could find were the safeties, and the safeties didn't really have everything that we needed because um, they were already mixed down. Right, right, and um, and also uh, I guess the way that they did it because they only had there were sixteen track recorders, so you only had sixteen tracks. They would use these other tapes, use submixes, and do the overdubs, and then take those and compile them down to a few tracks and put them on the master. And so the safeties were missing a lot of the uh, information and, and tracks that were on the uh, masters. So 
everyone was a little bit freaked out, but it turned out that uh, it was at Paul Stanley's house that he had all of the uh, all of the masters there. So, so, so Paul has the vault then. He, uh, on this one, yes, he did. What was your involvement with the Destroyer album prior to working on Destroyer Resurrected? Have you listened to it at some point, or you know, I had heard a few songs, but I, I, I never, and I, I hate saying this, especially. <laughs> for for this purpose, um, I, I never really got into Kiss. I never uh, fully appreciated how. That's all right. We all forgive you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, I have been converted. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, um, so I wasn't very familiar. I, you know, of course, I've I've heard the songs, but you know, I wasn't. I didn't have a a, a lot of experience with the record, so I didn't really know what I what I was going to expect getting into it but then you know i did my research you know what cool research it is to just sit and listen to kiss destroyer for hours <laughs> you know? yeah see actually i should have gotten that job since i've logged more hours than you probably would have uh listening to that album, so. <laughs> yes and you know it i mean it's such a good record and and uh the songs are great and the production is amazing so um so it was a lot of fun but i was still I was relying heavily on on Bob's experience because obviously who knows more about that record than than Bob Ezrin. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, uh, definitely I was coming in a little little blind, but uh, now I see. Did Bob ever talk thematically like about what the album was about or if there's a concept to it or whatever? We've had a discussion that the album is a semi quasi concept album. Do you have any thoughts you could add to that? You know, we never discussed the the entire um, well, I guess the concept of the record. Uh, th- that's interesting, though. I I'd, I'd like to listen to it again with that in mind. Well, okay, I'm, we're, I'm I'll edit some of this out, but this is this is my feelings on it. Okay, mm-hmm. I feel that the beginning of the album it starts out with this guy. He's he's either in a diner or something. Something's going on, and he goes out and he gets in his car, and I feel that he's on his way to a Kiss concert. Mm-hmm. Something happens, the crash in Detroit Rock City, the the breaking glass and everything, and then all of a sudden, and I think that one of the things Bob was trying to do with this album was to take Kiss from a shock rock band that had no purpose and give them a thematic meaning behind everything they did. For example, Beth became Peter Chris's solo signature song in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was his moment in the show, other than his drum solo. Then with Gene Simmons, he would spit blood during God of Thunder, so that would like make that his moment. Mm-hmm. And the 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 album seems to me seems to have a thing where it goes from it, it, it's almost like a fantasy about the band and about the band and their fans and their rapport. Everything from great expectations to the groupie connection to the do you really love me for me or do you love me because I'm that rock star or whatever. But it seems like it's the it's the greatest grandest kiss experience that there ever could be. But it's all in this imagination. And at the end of it, where that swirling thing comes on and says, you know, that last track after "Do You Love Me." Mm-hmm. Where it does that swirling sound, it says we're going to have ourselves a rock and roll party, and you've got great expectations. It's almost like he's going to kiss heaven or passing into the afterlife at that point. Wow, you know, I never, I didn't think about that while we were while we were working on it, but that I mean that makes a lot of sense. And you know, leave it to Bob. I think one of his biggest strengths is is being able to make a cohesive record. And I think probably without even thinking about it. Whether he had that in mind or not, 
probably, you know, constructed uh, the record in that way just because, you know. Well, for- well, well Julian Gill, uh, Kiss author, who's also going to be on this episode, he, he said uh, the last episode that Bob Ezrin can't just make a song. <laughs> that the guy is such an artist that he creates something. Everything he creates is a puzzle of something bigger. And and I, and I, I thought that was fairly accurate. Yes. Well, he definitely um, – he's not a surface-level – producer you no, know the, not, the, not not in any means way shape or form no, no. i mean this so, is the man that gave us alice cooper's welcome to my nightmare and picked Floyd's <laughs> the wall yes yes um i mean welcome i, I had the pleasure of, uh i know this is a little off subject oh I no please i know where you're going you recently worked with alice cooper on uh welcome to my nightmare 2 and, and what was it alice called it oh yes he said it's the uh shriekwell. yes yes Another great um, album, by the way. Yeah, and that was that was just a load of fun to work with. We um, we got to fly to New York and work with uh, the surviving members of the original band. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the middle of making the record, they they made the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And mm-hmm. you know, working with Steve Hunter, who's just a legendary, amazing musician. And uh, I, I didn't personally work with Dick Wagner, but a little bit via email and Skype. And and that's anyway. It was it was just a, a great great time. Would you like to work with Kiss in the studio? I I would. I certainly would. I, I, I imagine it would be a very unique experience. Yeah. Well, uh, there's there's a lot of pulls every so often. Which producer would you like to see Kiss work with next? And Bob Ezrin is almost always the winner. Yeah, it's. I'm surprised that he's only done the three really, albums. Right. You know, you would think that it would be uh, you know a lot more, but who knows? Man, <laughs> I, I know the. The Elder didn't quite go over as well. Even the dog has something to say about yeah, that one. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, it's from from what I've from what I've heard of the Elder. Even uh, I haven't uh, I haven't really explored the Elder. Okay. But you know, it's it's not that bad. I no, mean, it's it's not, it's, it's, not it's actually very beloved by the people that are listening to the show. It's probably very beloved. And, yeah. uh, and actually, someday we want to have Bob on the show to talk about that album in detail. We'd like to do a three-part Bob series where he talks about each one of those albums that he worked on with Kiss. We'd love to do that sometime. That, that would be really cool. I, I will uh, do my best to try to make that uh, or try to facilitate that. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, so so you, you wound up getting the raw tapes from Paul Stanley's house. Yes. What was the first thing you guys decided to do? I can't remember exactly what order we worked in. Maybe it was Do You Love Me. I remember I, I first took a look at, at each of the songs just to make sure that we had um, all of the uh, all of the material there. And uh, thankfully we did, and we, we combed through it with Bob. And we did a lot of jumping around to different songs. With the way that it is, that, that it was recorded, it was really interesting because they did all of the, they did so much sub-mixing to get it down into... 16 tracks that it was everything was pretty much printed on tape all of the effects mm-hmm. and everything like that and it was really interesting because we found a few gems in there also uh, a couple of uh, uh, ace freely solos and and some uh, background vocals that that had been muted for some reason in the original that we uh that we kind of brought out uh, i forget what which song the background vocals were in might have been shouted out loud it was very interesting and, and we were comparing with 
with the original record that we had, you know, to make sure that we, we weren't too far off base, uh, with the original and also, you know, just to, to check and see what, you know, what was used and what wasn't used in the original. It's a very interesting experience for me. I really enjoyed it. Which tracks would you say had the most done to them and which ones would you say had the least done to them? As far as, um, is new, new treatments? Yeah. Like, like, for example, was there one track that you guys kind of basically said, there's not much we can do to this. It's great just as it is. And I mean, what, what did you, cause there's some things that are, like I said, drastically distant, uh, different at times. And, and it's really nice to hear those other versions now. But are there, are there some parts of the album that you said we can't do anything with this or we're not going to touch this? This is fine the way it is or? Like I said, uh, pretty much everything had all of the uh, effects and and things printed there so we didn't mm-hmm. have to do a ton but i i think there were lines and uh, moments that maybe bob wishes he he would have brought out uh, i can't remember exactly which uh which songs you know we, we spent more time on than than others but uh but i think he wanted to bring you know certain things out that maybe didn't make it on the original and i, and I think in the original also back in those days when you were mixing there wasn't any sort of automation it was uh performance it was you know all hands on deck everyone grab a fader and and let's <laughs> let's make it happen so um so now with modern technology being able to you know automate certain levels here and there uh i think he was able to kind of bring his vision um to life a little bit better if that makes sense uh, which song do you feel uh, you, you guys did the most, quote-unquote, tampering or reconstruction of? For example, I know God of Thunder seems to have extra voices or, or at least different things that you couldn't hear before. God of Thunder, actually, they, they were recorded, but in the original, if I remember correctly, there were certain voices that I think in the original were muted, and then we found these extra, uh, I don't know if they were takes or, or just uh, on different tracks, we found extra vocals, and so we put those in. We had to had to do a little bit of uh, creative supplemental um, motorcycle noise. Yeah, Detroit Rock City. Yes. Uh, we had to, for some reason, the um, I think that sound effect was on a different reel of tape, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't printed on the original master, and they they didn't have it. We had to find sound effects to to sort of match that that sound we did the best that we could so if it's slightly different that's why now now the glass that shatters at the end of that crash it it, it used to sound like there was a car accident like down the street now it literally sounds like the vehicle and the other vehicle that it crashed into were made out of glass now it just sounds like you're enveloped in glass you know what i mean yes (laughs) we we did uh add a a few sound effects to that also just to uh, uh bob wanted a bigger Wanted to be a bigger crash, and and uh, I forget exactly what. Uh, probably some glass shattering was was added in there. But did uh, you guys actually bust the glass, or did you go to an effects house? <laughs> yeah, I know Bob he probably just busted glass. Well, you know, I unfortunately we didn't have we didn't really have the the time or a, a proper glass <laughs> to, to sit do. around and just bust <laughs> windows all day yeah as as much as as much fun as that would have been we uh unfortunately had to uh go to a sound effects library and, and get a uh get a glass breaking sample 
But what about Beth? There was a lot of things added to that or brought out that were there that were kind of buried in the mix. For example, Dick Wagner's guitar and the extra background vocals. Can you talk about that? Yes, I do remember Bob yeah, enhancing certain parts. There was a. I, I wish I had the multi tracks in front of me so I could look at the uh, the track listing because I want to say on that one, I want to say there was a guitar like an arpeggiated uh, acoustic guitar or something mm-hmm. that was that was there that. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I, Dick, yeah, and and Stick Wagner's, yeah, definitely. Right, and I'm not sure if that was uh, just not there on the original or, or very low in the mix. Yeah, it, it was really low. As a matter of fact, in interviews with him in the past, he's asked people, "Did you hear it in Beth?" and you know, honestly, we couldn't hear it at times. Right. I remember Bob, uh, yeah, making a point of that, and and we did end up bringing it up a good bit because it's it's a beautiful part. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally forgot about that, but that, that was that was a big point that we uh, that, that Bob had made when we were uh, mixing that. So. Did Bob talk about much about what he went through when he was actually constructing the album in the first place? You know, back in the seventies, where was there ever much talk about that with you? Yeah, he he gave a few stories, and and uh, I think most of them have been. Uh, documented. I think he had sort of like a classroom setting where where he'd go over, you know, the process of making a studio record and, mm-hmm. and everything, and and how he sort of put him through, you know, music boot camp or, or yeah, yeah, recording boot camp. And, there's there's been the stories about him with a whistle, and he's yes. like all good morning campers, and <laughs> that's very much Bob. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, 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 does Bob still uh, play the part of camp counselors? Like right now, you guys are working with Deep Purple, right? Yes, yes. He's is, is he doing that with them, or he just doesn't have to at this point? Well, it's not so much the um, he doesn't do the the gimmicky thing, but he's definitely you know he, he's definitely the one in charge. You know, definitely. he makes he makes that a point. It's always good on a project to have one central voice. Uh, and Bob is very good at being that one person, and I'm sure that did. I'm sure that was much needed in the uh, Pink Floyd days, mm-hmm. doing the Wall. You know, because in in a lot of when you're doing records, a lot of times, you know, there there are too many cooks in the kitchen, and right. uh, and with Bob, you know that he's always the one that's in charge, and that's the person that you go to if you have. You know, a question or a comment, he's the one that approves it and, and everything. So, um, so it's good to have a central voice and a central vision for a record, which I think is probably why so many of his records and, you know, Destroyer, they have a theme and they, they all, you know, all the songs tie together. He's very good about that and lyrics making, you know, having them make sense and tell a story and, and all of that. So, uh, but yes, he's, he's definitely the taskmaster, definitely the general. He's the guy in charge. Would Bob be interested in working with Kiss again? You know, I I have no idea. I know he's still friends with uh, he's very good friends. W- w- yes, yes, with Paul and Gene both. You know, he he went to Gene's wedding and and all of that. So uh, so yeah, I know he's he's still close with them. I'm I'm not sure. You know, I, I know I actually just uh, read a. Uh, a bit of Ace Frehley's book, so I'm not sure if he and Ace are <laughs> really tight or not. Yeah, well, there there was always a problem there. You know, I, uh, Ace wasn't wanting the camp counselor instruction. He, he you know, he, he was a rock star at that point, and he had mm-hmm. uh, hotel rooms to smash up or whatever at that point. So, yes. Know. 
Yes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I get it. Certain, you know, certain personalities don't, don't quite, uh, mesh. And, uh, that, that happens. That's life. On the other hand, there's some amazing performances on Destroyer. Were there any tracks in particular that you, uh, were surprised at the musicality that, that came from it? Or is it because you work with Bob, you're not surprised about anything? Oh, I'm, I'm always surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he comes up with, with things that, uh, a lot of times I'll go, yeah, that, that's not going to work. But then when we refine it and get it get it dialed in and get it brought into the mix, it's genius. So, you know, I, I've learned to expect the unexpected. Great Expectations is just a excellent track. I, I really like that and the musicality there. And uh, you know, shout out out shout it out loud is just awesome. I was watching the the Thursday night football game last week and and it came on as they were going to commercial and I thought, yeah. <laughs> that's still it's it's still badass. I don't know if you can use that, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> All of the tracks are really it's it's just such a strong record front to back. And you know, in talking with a lot of my other uh, uh, you know colleagues and, and peers, I remember telling uh, producer and songwriter Bobby Huff you know, that that I was uh, getting to remix uh, uh, Kiss Destroyer Resurrected. And uh, he flipped out. He's like, I grew up on that. That was my, that was the record I listened to over and over and over and over again. It's the, it's the cassette tape that, you know, is completely worn out, you know, gets eaten by, <laughs> by the tape machine and the, you know, it's just one of those classic records that you can listen to it a hundred times and it's still fun. And the great thing about Bob and what he adds is, are these uh, very, Musical moments so that a record that, you know, even when you listen to it, you know, a hundred times, you still find interesting moments that maybe you haven't heard before. Or maybe uh-huh. you put on headphones and you go, oh, I never, I never noticed that there, you know. Um, and that for me, um, especially, you know, as an engineer, but just even as a casual listener when I was growing up, those are the records that, uh, that I end up, you know, falling in love with and, and, you know, 10 years down the road, we'll listen to, and, and Destroyer has all of those uh, qualities. Definitely, definitely. Well, is there anything you'd like to say to the fans uh, in closing? Is this a good time to uh, to promote anything? Absolutely. Excellent. Well, uh, in that case, yes. Um, well, check out the new Deep Purple record. Uh, we're currently working on it now. I'm not sure exactly when it'll be released, but uh, check that out. It's a great record. And also... Um, producing a band myself uh uh it's a band but the the name of the band is Bree okay and um, and, and that spelling is B R E B R E E okay all right excellent check her out on on Facebook she has a a, a music page and that's all i can think of <laughs> well very good i've heard grumblings of uh, another Alice Cooper project uh, so uh, i'm not i'm not sure i, I can't Say for certain. Can't say for sure, but there's talk. There's talk. And, um. Excellent. Well, we look forward to hearing from you. And if anytime we can help you or promote anything, just let us know. We are at your service and thank you for being a friend of the podcast. Please, uh, I'm sorry, the, the podcast. Please, um, tell Bob hi and, uh, we love your guys' work and his as well and that we, uh, look forward to doing, uh, some specials with him sometime. All right. Will do. <laughs> I'll do that. It, it was it was really good talking to you, Justin. Thank you so much. God bless. Yes, God bless. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. 
And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. And that was Peggy Lee with Go Fuck Yourself. Um, and and I, I, Ken, I remember something that you said a few years back when they... I'll never do another show with you? <laughs> well, no, no, not that, and it, no, 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 yeah. But I thought we were going to discuss that again. God damn it! I can't take me anywhere. This is why I'm not allowed to have nice things. Gary's <laughs> Gary's trying to compete with History Science Theater for the amount of swearing in a single broadcast. <laughs> you know, are we all drinking? <laughs> oh no, no. Julian is. <laughs> damn it! Yes, I'm having a really hardcore cup of tea. Here's Eric Singer performing Beth. Give us yeah, a there you go. <laughs>